was with us last summer once to speak on community. Um, that's actually kind of who he is these last few years. He's actually the founder and president of um, Netzer, which is an organization that connects pastors and churches and encourages larger Christian community um, beyond just the local body. Um, and so um, he was actually asked kind of last minute, um, something changed and we needed uh, somebody for this week um, about a week ago. <laughs> and he agreed to um, start his vacation a day late and come and join us. And since Pastor Aaron is on vacation and he is away, even though it's before Thanksgiving, we've invited him to speak on Advent in August. So come and come in just a moment. First, let's have the scripture reading and then he'll come for us. Luke 2, 22 through 38. And when the time came for their purification according to the law, the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Good morning. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to be here with you today. And uh, I also want to say that uh, last time I was with you, I think I told you I speak at a different church pretty much every Sunday. And uh, <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is pray for the leadership of the church because so often they're... Uh, you know, there needs to be an invitation from someone to help you uh, pray for your pastor together, pray for your pastors, and beat me to the punch. I, I, that's awesome. I'm so excited. I, it's the first time that I've ever got up to, uh, at a church to pray for the pastors and say, oh, you guys already took care of that today. We don't need to do that. That's an awesome thing. That's exciting. Um, I uh, want to encourage you today uh, with just the, the blessing of the fact that it's a real joy to be worshiping with you as someone who's connected from the outside, coming and participating with you. Real obvious that the Spirit of God is with you, that the Word of God is alive among you, and uh, it's a blessing to be here. So uh, I'm just going to ask you to join me in a word of prayer, and I, and I am going to pray one more prayer, at least over Aaron and his family. 
right now. Okay. So, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you that you have gifted us with the timeless truth of your presence, your character, your nature revealed in the story of Scripture in a way that as, as we read, we're, we're being washed by the reality of the history of the living God in and among his people. And so we receive that in this generation, in our moment, we find ourselves located in the grand narrative, the grand story of God. And that you allow us in the timeline and in the story of your redemption to read from the heritage that we find in the text of our forebearers, the, the mothers and fathers of the faith who have followed you. And of course, most of all, as we read the gospels and see God incarnate walking among us, the firstborn of creation, we thank you, Jesus. We bless you, God, that we have such a rich inheritance, that we have such an incredible lineage that we get to participate in. And so today, God, we honor you. Today, God, we bless you. And today we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to be able to fully receive the inheritance that is ours in you. In the name of Jesus, amen. So when Aaron uh, texted me last week and said, hey, <laughs> any chance that you're free? I said, uh, let's work it out. And uh, so we were going to be headed down to the shore uh, last night, but it worked out because we had to get our dog somewhere and couldn't get the dog there until tomorrow. So I said, great, we'll just leave a day late and I'll get to hang out with you guys. And uh, I said, is there anything in particular that you want me to be teaching on? And he said, I don't think that I can ask that of you when we're a week out. Is there anything you want to teach on? And uh, I said, you know, I have a few things in mind, but the one that comes to mind, first of all, is the woman, Anna. Um, and Anna is probably, uh, other than Christ himself, may be my favorite character in the scriptures. I just, uh, for some reason, have an enormous admiration for this woman. Uh, when we read that uh, she was in the temple till she was 87 years old, fasting and praying day and night, the, uh, the text actually reads, um, and you'll see it in footnotes in your scripture, um, if, you, if you look at that 87, it says, uh, it could read, is what it says, that it was 80, 84, 87 years from the time, 84 years from the time that her husband died, which was seven years after they got married. So think about that, 80-some years after seven years of marriage. How old would that make her? Well, it depends on how old she was when she got married. But my goodness. And I think that the reason we uh, see most of the translators interpret it and, and say uh, that instead it says until she was 84 was because everyone's like, there's no way it actually says what we think it does, that, that she's like, you know, well into her hundreds when this all goes down. But I, the text uh, lends itself a little more that direction in the Greek. This is a woman who, who really sought the Lord deeply, 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 deeply over a long period of time. 
in prayer. And, uh, you know, there's this whole thing in uh, consumeristic uh, uh, culture right now of having Christmas in July because we need yet another reason in order to uh, have commercialized Christmas. So I thought I'd, I'd just, since we're coming from a story that's in Advent, I thought we'd move from Christmas in July to Advent in August and, and talk about that. And uh, we'll, we'll let Aaron deal with the fallout of that if anybody has any <laughs> issues with it. Um, think about the moments when you in your life have felt most alive. Just think about one or two moments when you're like, man, it was like firing on all cylinders. I was so excited. I was awake and I was alive. The word Advent is appearance. That's what it means. So I'm going to work on this uh, clicker here and see if I can get it. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Sorry. <laughs> there we go. So Advent means to appear, to arrive, to show up. So the Advent of Christ is when God shows up on earth. He's here. He was here in the spirit. He was here among us. But when in the flesh, he shows up. That's the advent, the appearance of God. And when God shows up, that's an advent, a dawn, a, an, an appearance. The word for, uh, for advent, that word advent is the root word of another word that we use a lot more often than advent, and that's adventure. And so adventure is what will appear. What direction do I point this thing? Did it go? Okay. Um, so what will appear? And uh, th this idea of being on an adventure means, oh, I got to stay near this thing. I forgot. Being on an adventure means I don't know what's coming. I don't know what's about to happen. Picture Bilbo or Frodo on their journeys, right? There's, a, there's an adventure in front of them because they have no idea what's out in front of them. And the adventure is what will appear. I have no idea what will appear. The life of Advent is a life where God is showing up. The life of adventure is looking for where God will show up. That's the life of an adventure. When you think about those moments in your life when you felt very alive, very awake, so often those are tied to moments in our lives where we didn't know what was coming, but there was a sense of hope, a sense of anticipation, a sense of excitement about what is it that we're going to experience? Whether that's young love in a relationship where we're not sure where this relationship's going, but we're excited about it. Perhaps it's travel and you're not sure what's out in front of you. Maybe it's a, a new journey, a new calling that, uh, that you were in. It was a, a mission that God had called you onto and you don't know what's out there. It's a, a, a new skill you were learning. New friendships were being formed. In those moments, there's a lot of unknowns. And those unknowns create a culture of adventure. What will appear? What will happen? 
And there's a way in which we tend to feel really alive in those moments. We just read from Luke chapter two about two people who were well along in years. And I'm not judging, but there's a couple people in here who look like you have a few years behind you. I love how we see two people in this part of a Christmas story who seem to be the closest thing to a kid on Christmas morning. Out of the entire story of, of the Advent, the ones who are closest to the kids on Christmas are the oldest ones in the story, who are still very much on an adventure, who are still very much saying what will appear. The problem is, is that there was another person who was well along in years in this story that we just heard about, the context. Do you remember how the opening of the Advent story happens? It happens with someone who's also pretty well advanced in years, his name's Zachariah. And this would have been a contemporary of Anna and Simeon. We don't really think about them a whole lot as in community, but chances are they probably knew of one another at least. And Zechariah, of course, you all, probably most of you know the story of Zechariah, is a man who, of all his years, had never been the, the priest who had chosen. On every rotation, when his crew came down to the temple to serve at the temple, he had never been picked to be the one to go back into the temple to offer the prayers on behalf of the people to God. The great privilege of a priest, the wonderful privilege of being able to go back into that holy place, to burn the incense and to offer the prayers on behalf of the people for the redemption of Israel, for the consolation of Jerusalem, for the return of the Messiah, and for the move of God to set them free. And he saw so many young whippersnappers go past him and get their opportunity to go back into the Holy of Holies while he had to sit there and watch that and the lots never fell in his direction. And his brothers who were in the priesthood with him, he looks around and he sees them holding their grandkids and maybe their great-grandkids and kissing them on the cheek and he sees them getting dedicated in the temple and he never had a kid. Can you imagine how much of a challenge that would have been for Zechariah? Year after year, he doesn't get chosen. Year after year, he doesn't have a child. Year after year, he doesn't see the Messiah show up. Year after year, he experiences all the pressures that the average person in Judea is experiencing. But on top of that, all sorts of personal challenges and family challenges. And he never sees the fulfillment himself of all the things that he would hope for. This is what I think happens to Zechariah is that Zechariah stops living a life of adventure. He stops looking for what will appear. And I think what we read in the story a chapter back that sets the context for our story of Annie, Anna and Simeon is we see a man 
who is still being faithful to God. He's still doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's still living righteously, but now he has a guarded heart. His heart, it's not very hopeful. It's not full of anticipation and excitement. He's been hurt so many times and he's been disappointed so many times. And there's so few times that he's seen the fulfillment of what he's been praying for that that young adventure spirit that says, what's going to happen? It started to dissipate to the point where that day, here he is casting lots with the crew. And he's probably just like, one more time that I'm going to be missed. Lots fall to him. He's chosen. He was probably in a daze. Didn't even, like, after watching all these young people go through this, for the first time at this ripe old age, he's putting the robe on. He's the one walking in with the bells. You know, he's the one going in. And it had to feel weird after watching all of these younger people do that for the first time. At this age, he gets to experience that for the very first time. And as he goes back into the holy place, you can just imagine that he's trying to get oriented about like get his emotions, like what to do with them and all of that. And then remember like, man, all the training that I went through like 50 years ago for how to do this, you know, trying to remember it all. And now he's offering the incense to God and he's sitting there praying the great prayer for God to see and remember and restore his people and boom, the angel shows up. After all those years of quiet, after all those years of oppression, and for him personally, after all those years of disappointment, he gets chosen. The angel of the Lord shows up and answers his prayer that he's praying. How many of us wish that when we were praying, an angel would show up to answer our prayer and say, I heard that when I got you. That happens right in front of him. And it answers not just the prayer for Israel, but his personal prayer. I'm gonna answer it by giving you a kid. The unthinkable, the unimaginable, the impossible, that God would speak, that God would come and redeem his people, that God would call me to go in to pray this prayer, to receive it, and that he would answer that prayer by miraculously giving me a child at this stage of my life. You have got to be kidding me. And he didn't believe it. And can you blame him? Oh, his heart at that point had been so disappointed. So many years of getting hard. Instead of saying what will appear in the good sense, he was saying, what else is going to hit me? And so he started to be guarded instead of anticipating. And just when we think, well... That's kind of the way life goes and all of that. 
we watch God do this wonderful, gracious thing where he gives him a, a nine-month timeout and tells him, you'd do better if you kept your mouth quiet a little bit here and just think about it. And we watch when his mouth finally opens. You see what happens? He sings. The song of Zechariah. He's not, after nine months of sitting about it, he's like, you can't keep my mouth shut about the Lord anymore. And he starts praising that the horn of salvation has come. And he is fired up. It took how many years to get a calcified heart? But within nine months, he was fresh as a teenager, ready to roll. He was excited like a Christmas kid on Christmas morning. But to me, what's most exciting is that there were two others who were of the same generation who never let their heart get hard. And the story that was just read for us before I came up here was from chapter two. And when we look at the story of Simeon and Anna, there's something that they both have in common. And this is what I, I want us to see is that if you look at verse 25, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. And I want you to see this word, waiting, waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting and the Holy Spirit was with him. Should it be a surprise that someone who's waiting on the Lord has the Holy Spirit upon them? When you think fruit of the Spirit, what do you think? I don't know about you, but the big three come to mind right out of the gate. When I ask people, what are the fruit of the Spirit? Typically what I hear is love, joy, peace, and then some other ones. <laughs> you know? And it kind of stops at love, joy, peace. And I think part of that is because love, joy, and peace all sound great. And when you get to number four, you're like, eh. Love, joy, peace, patience. We learn to wait, not by our own power, but by the Spirit of God as a fruit of the Spirit. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I would say he was waiting for the consolation of Israel because the Holy Spirit was upon him, because he was in tune with the Holy Spirit. Listen to what it says about Anna. Verse 37, halfway through it there, it says, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting with prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was a group of people who were still on an adventure, who were still excited about what will appear, who still had this sense of anticipation that God is gonna show up today, 
not in 10 years from now, not in future generations from now, that God is alive and active and is gonna show up today. And waking up like a kid on Christmas morning, all right, where's God moving today? And this is what it takes to maintain a soft heart. The reason that I'm so grateful for the story of Anna is because it teaches us what it looks like to live a life of faith over a long period of time. To allow the length of years that God gives us not to be things that wear us down, but things that draw us closer and closer and closer to God. The life of adventure is a life of waiting on God, attending God's presence. Let's check out these two verses. This is the life of Anna. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You know, in the entire New Testament, the word devotion is only used twice as a command. Once to a young pastor, Paul to Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. We're telling him like, as a pastor, you better know the word, get in the word. The other is to the church in Colossae. Devote means wholehearted, singular, wholehearted adherence to a singular course of action. Devotion is very different than commitment. It's very different than practice. It's very different than dedication. All of those things, you can be dedicated to many things. You can be committed to a few things. You can only be devoted to one thing. Devoted means wholehearted adherence to a singular course of action. When Paul says to the church in Colossae, devote yourselves to prayer, what he's saying is the life of a follower of Jesus is a life of prayer. And that doesn't mean that I'm up in my room, of course, all day, every day, uh, talking about other people to God. What it means is this, is that I am being watchful and I am being thankful. It means I am looking everywhere saying, where is God showing up? And when I see him, I'm like, you're awesome. That's incredible. I don't know if you remember anything from the last time that I was here. I wouldn't expect that you would. But if you do, awesome. One thing that we started with is that we remembered together that our purpose as humans is to glorify and enjoy God, to know God and to make God known. I think I told you that with my kids when they were young, we tried to teach them this all the time. So we just made it simple and we'd say, what's your job? To know him and to show him. To know him and to show him. That's our call, is to know God and to make God known. And the most clear way that we do that is when we are living a life looking for God in prayer, just connected to, attending God. And when we see him move, like in Kathy's life in a testimony, we say, praise God, praise God. And as we live that life attentive to God, we're continuing in that place of adventure like Anna. The problem is, is that this isn't easy. First Thessalonians says, it's rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. Tough. But what we do know is this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The challenge of this kind of life 
is that it takes an enormous amount of patience. I uh, think that this is one of the biggest battlegrounds of our time in America. In our day, one of the, the biggest challenges for us as Americans has to do with how we view time. It's not just how we handle time. How we handle time's always been difficult. I mean, patience is a fruit of the spirit. You can't do it without God. It's really tough to be patient. But for us, I don't think our challenge is just being patient. It's having a value of patience. It's actually thinking that it's important. It's actually believing in it. So I think that um, this life of patient endurance, see if I can get this going here. There we go. Is the long road of attending the presence of God. <laughs> If you could, if you could turn to Colossians 1, 10 to 12. We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the kingdom of light. So we're gonna do a little bit of just quick Bible study here. So right here, it says there's an inheritance. You see this? To share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. If you have been born of God, you have been born of Christ. He's the firstborn of creation. That means that Christ's spiritual DNA is in you. The spiritual DNA of Jesus is inside of you if you are born of God. That's how we receive an inheritance. So if our call as believers is to reveal God, to know and to glorify God, to reveal God's nature, to reveal his character, then the great inheritance that we have is we get to look like Jesus. And together, we get to look like the Trinitarian nature of God. We get to be unified together. We get to be reconciled together. As a community of people, we get to reveal God's glory. This is our great inheritance of the saints. He has qualified us to receive inheritance from him. The redemptive work on the cross qualified us to be able to receive from Jesus. However, here's the challenge. There's all sorts of things that he's given us in Christ that we can receive as an inheritance. The challenge of receiving them is that we're going on a journey with Jesus the way the apostles go on a journey with Jesus. And when they start to walk with Jesus, there's, he's saying, they didn't, Peter and John, those guys, they didn't earn a journey with Jesus. They didn't earn it, it was by God's grace. But once they go on the journey, they have all sorts of things they're gonna receive from Jesus. But in order to receive it, it's gonna take the next three years of their life and some really challenging moments where they're gonna to have to stick with him. And this is what it says, that we have an inheritance here, but in order to have that inheritance, it says, we pray that you may live this life that's worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, bearing fruit 
fruit of the Spirit, patience. In every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, we're called to know him and to show him. So here we are, we're knowing God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Why? Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. All right, let me put this together. What's our call? Great. There it is, to know him and to show him. That's what we're called to do. The way that the, the two verses we just read about, uh, about the life of prayer say that the way we're doing this is we're devoting ourselves to prayer. We're looking for God. And when we see God and we name that and we're thankful for him, something's happening where we're knowing him. And then as we proclaim what he's doing, we're showing him. This is why it says rejoicing always, because every time I'm seeing God, I'm rejoicing. God's present. I'm giving thanks in all circumstances. This is the life of prayer. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The practical of how we know God and show God is a life of prayer in which we are trying to stay closely connected to God, looking for him everywhere and proclaiming every time we see him. That's the life of those who are on a journey with Jesus. When we do that, we have the ability to receive this great inheritance where Jesus is teaching us what it looks like to be like him in the midst of all circumstances. <clears throat> Think about this for a second. The challenge for those disciples is that Jesus crucified, dying, resurrecting. This is the life of a disciple of Jesus that I have to endure great deal of suffering and walk through that in a way that brings glory to God. Sign me up. That's not the thing that we're looking for, like that I, that I get to learn how to walk through suffering well. That's not what we would think is like, this is great. But the life of love, the life of joy, the life of peace, the top three fruits of the spirit are things that we have uniquely as believers when we learn how to know and reveal God in all circumstances. So if I'm like, you know, on the, by the lake or by the ocean, or I'm, you know, uh, having vacation and I'm full of joy, great, that's awesome. Praise God, so's the rest of the world, right? <laughs> Nothing different there. The inheritance in Jesus is that when he's hanging on a cross because of injustice, he can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the inheritance. The inheritance is that when we're suffering and going through great pain in our lives, that we can still see where God is working and, and have peace and joy in the midst of it. And so the work of receiving the inheritance is a work of patience and endurance. I just want to cover uh, a couple uh, things quickly about that practically for us, okay? Anna and uh, Simeon were waiting for a long time. All of us are waiting. What is it that you're waiting for? I want you to stop and think about that for just a second. What are you waiting for? Okay, and 
I, hopefully we're all waiting on the Lord for things like his return, for the kingdom to be established. Personally, in your personal life, like Zechariah was like, he was waiting to go be the one chosen to go into the temple. He was the one who didn't have a child and would have loved to have a child. What are things in your life? Maybe, maybe you're waiting for a loved one to come to Christ. Maybe you're waiting for a relationship to be reconciled that's been broken. Maybe you've really been hoping God would bring healing in an area of your life where you need it, either emotionally, mentally, or physically. Perhaps there's a job uh, that, that you feel like, I've really wanted this job and I've really wanted to be promoted and I feel like God would want me to get there and you've been waiting for that. Maybe you've been waiting for a, a wayward child to turn back around. Maybe you've been waiting for a relationship, a friendship, a spouse. Waiting can be either really, really boring or it can be really, really hard. Because some things that when we wait, it's just like completely out of our control and there's nothing we can do and we just have to wait for someone else or we have to wait for God to do something. And it can become really boring. My kids can tell you all about the boring kind of waiting. As we get older, we learn the kind of waiting that's more about endurance. It's the kind that can be acutely painful where we realize that we have to work hard at not growing weary in doing good because sometimes it's just painful to keep pushing through as we're walking through challenges. Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage. He will strengthen your heart. Wait on the Lord. Anna and Simeon had a heart that was strong. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Whatever it is that you're waiting for today, I want to encourage you with this thought. All throughout history, especially in Western culture, we have known that patience is a virtue. Even non-believers have known that patience is a virtue. Ben Franklin said, he who has patience can have what he wills. Uh, Leo Tolstoy, the great author, says the two great warriors in our time, in our uh, culture are time and patience. George MacDonald, the, the author, uh, you know, the mentor to C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, he says that the principal part of faith is patience. It means that when I am waiting on God, I want to find a way to fix my situation. I want to either self-medicate, I want to rush things, I want to make it work. But, but the idea of trusting God with time is patience. Think about it this way, is that it's an amazing thing to be a good steward of finances and to be wise with how you handle your finances. But how many of us know that there are many people who are wise with finances, but it doesn't make them loving? Being loving with finances has to do with generosity. 
It's the exact same thing with time. We can be a great steward of time. We can be efficient. We can squeeze every last second out of our time and be productive. But that doesn't mean I'm actually being patient and being generous with my time to you. Waiting on the Lord. Anybody remember um, using Redbox? Does anybody still use Redboxes? I, I remember when Redbox first came out. I'll close with this story. Um, when Redbox first came out, we were down at the shore one, uh, one year and uh, we were on Long Beach Island and there was on the southern part of the island, there was a Redbox. It was the, at the time, it was the only one on the island. And uh, we were there for a week. It was, it was uh, on a Thursday night, it had been raining. So we went and got a red box. We were going to take it back on Friday. Everybody was coming down to the shore for the weekend, but they were calling for rain that night. So on the entire island, everyone went to get a red box <laughs> at this one grocery store on the southern end of the island. And it was a tiny little grocery store. And... Uh, there was no room in the grocery store and the red box was kind of packed in there. And I remember I was about, I don't know, I was about like 10 people deep. Well, 10, 10 families deep in, in the line. And all I was trying to do was return my, uh, my red box, you know. But I was on vacation mode and it was raining. So I was kind of like, whatever, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And I remember that the, the one uh, family, they had like four or five kids with them and they were all trying to decide what movie they were going to get. And so it took at least, you know, five to 10 minutes for them to figure it out, get it done. And, and they move on. And then the next family of four or five steps up. There was a guy in front of me who also just had a return. And he was pretty much losing his mind um, at this point. And uh, I remember when he saw the, the, the family leave and the other family go in, he had been pacing in front of me, like losing his mind. And, and I'm sure that in my imagination, I saw a car outside of the grocery store waiting for him, you know, kind of honking the horn, like, dude, let's go, you know. And he's feeling the pressure of these people wanting to go. And it's his vacation time, or maybe he was trying to beat traffic to get back home or who knows what, but there was some pressure on the other end of it for him. You could feel the stress. It was palpable, right? And so then he, when the, that family leaves, he takes his red box and he puts it up against his face so that no one can see his face. And he goes and cuts in line. And he's like, I just have a return. I just have a return. He's like hitting the screen. And I'm like looking at him I'm like, that was really impressive. Like he was totally having a meltdown in front of us. And, uh, and then finally jams the, the, the uh, movie into the box and then like runs out of the store. And I was like, wow. Um, what was going on with this guy is what I think we struggle with when it comes to time. It wasn't just that he was having a hard time being patient. It's that there was two pressures internally he was dealing with. The one pressure is, I want to be nice to the people in front of me 
and I want to be patient. The other pressure is it is completely wrong for me to sit here in this line and waste this, this much time waiting for all of them when there's other people who are waiting on me and there's so much other things that I should be doing with my life right now. How many of us have felt the pressure in our life to be efficient and to maximize the moment in a way that has caused us to wonder if being patient is actually the right thing. That's the difference between sin and iniquity. Sin is when you choose to do the wrong thing. Iniquity is when sin is so prevalent in a culture that when we do the wrong thing, we don't even know we're doing something wrong. Impatience is an iniquity for us in America. We have changed the value around time for God and we've said, God, I know that you call us to be patient with our time, but we think that what you probably meant by that is you want us to be really efficient with our time. And when we are not patient, we stop living the life of adventure because we spend all of our time trying to get everything done. And when it hurts that we're not getting done what we want, our hearts get harder. God is not in McDonald's flipping burgers right now. God is at home in the kitchen cooking up something that smells really good. And like a Thanksgiving dinner, when all the people in the room are smelling it, and the juices are getting there, you know, and the stomachs are rumbling, and you have to wait for it. God has something profound and powerfully good for our lives. But he is not a fast food burger flipper. He is a gourmet chef. And if we want the best of what God has for us, we have to learn to be patient. And we have to wait on the Lord, because that is the life of prayer that receives the great inheritance that God has for us. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the advent. We thank you that today there is an amazing gift that's unique to this day, that's unique right here today to August 7th, 2022. There will never be another August 7th, 2022. And while I know that I'm tempted to, to assume that means I have to cram everything into today, we know that what it actually means is there's a unique way to meet you in this day. A way to patiently be waiting on you. To enjoy a moment, whether I'm in the throes of a tragedy or whether I'm in the midst of an exaltation that I do not want to move through this day just accomplishing my goals and my mission. I want to stand with Anna and Simeon and anticipate and believe that you are going to be here. And we ask that Holy Spirit, you would fill us in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit, particularly today, patience would be working in us in such a way that we like Anna would be able to, as it says in the text, just so happen to be walking through the temple that, God, we would be at the right pace 
with you. Not too fast, not too slow. At the right pace, trusting you, believing you, full of faith, full of generosity, full of love. And that all through our day, all through our week, we would have encounter after encounter after encounter with the awareness of your presence proclaiming your glory and that it would cause us to wake up the next day and say, today is Christmas again. I can't wait for God to show up. Lead us on the great adventure in the name of Jesus. Amen.